Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, the podcast that provides the backstory of local successful San Diego leaders who bring hope, inspiration, and purpose to the work they do and the people they lead. Conscious Curiosity is sponsored by Conscious Capitalism San Diego and the Better Business Bureau of San Diego. And I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership. We'll hear from leaders who prove businesses can positively change the communities they work and live in by seeking a higher purpose beyond profit. We'll explore why they have come to lead in this way, the rewards and challenges of being a conscious leader, and their vision for the future of their businesses and the community of San Diego. To respectively understand, passionately inspire, and authentically transform high performance and high fulfillment growth for like-spirited individuals and organizations. That, my friends, is the mission of today's guest on Conscious Curiosity SD, Mr. Neville Billamoria. Neville, welcome. Thank you, my brother. Thanks for that opportunity. It sounds pretty long-winded, so I hope it's more interesting than that. We'll make you explain all that later. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So I had the great fortune of meeting Neville about four years ago when I was part of the CAUSE Conference Committee. Neville was one of the co-chairs that year, and he didn't say a whole lot in the meetings, but when he did, it was always kind of based on heart. He had a way of always getting past the blocking and tackling, reminding folks of why we're doing what we're doing. Neville's an important figure here in the San Diego community. He's the Senior Vice President of Membership and Advocacy for the Mission Federal Credit Union. He's also been a member of the UCSD Alumni Board of Directors and Executive Committee for over 42 years, and including receiving the True Triton Award for his service to the university. Just like there's one magic or one Madonna, there's only one Neville, and he's here with us today on Conscious Curiosity. So let's get started, Neville. Thanks. Just to clarify, I've been on the UCSD Alumni Board for 13 years, but I've been teaching there for 40 years. So, ah, okay. But, but just so we don't have any flameouts about that. If anybody come back and start <laughs> yelling at you. <laughs> but all in, you've been spending a tremendous amount of time with our university. You know, where I'd like to start, Neville, was you and I were on the phone the other day, and I didn't realize this about you, that... Uh, you're a little different background than us. Uh, you came to this country, uh, I think you said around 14 with a suitcase. Yep. Tell, tell me that. Talk about that a little bit. And how has that informed the Neville that's sitting here today? Oh, that's a great question. So, yeah, my dad's from India. My mother's English. I grew up in Bombay, today Mumbai. Uh, and um, as a physician, he was offered an opportunity to move at Lom- to Loma Linda University Medical Center. And so, yes, at that time it was called the brain drain. People like him were leaving. But if you inform the government you intended to leave, they would um, possess all your assets and basically game over. So we came on a tourist visa with one suitcase each. Um, at 14, as you can imagine, that's a time of adolescence of enough existential angst by itself, but you compound that with the cultural shift. Um, growing up in India, the English kids said I was Indian, the Indian kids said I was English, so I had to really reconcile that third option. I couldn't believe that I was going to hell or one of my parents was going to hell based on their religious you know, orientation. And so I was afforded, at that time I was pretty brutal um, because I felt like I didn't fit in and we all want to feel valued and fitting in and the sense of belonging, right? The Maslow's hierarchy of needs is psychological safety, then there's love and belonging, and then there's significance and purpose. We'll get to that third one momentarily, but the love and belonging part, I felt loved at home, but I didn't feel like I belonged. And so that, that, that was a stumbling block that I was able to turn into a stepping stone because even till today, I'm really attentive to and attenuated to when people don't feel like they're included, valued, and belong. So yeah, in some ways, at the time, brutal, sucked, 
uncool, in hindsight, uh, a gift that um, afforded me some appreciation for how important that is and how critical that is to building cultures and building um, communities of inclusion. I find it interesting, I, you know, in my philosophy around purpose, where we're kind of called to action, where we see something wrong, it's usually based on some history in our life. There's usually a story that says, that's wrong. I've experienced that, and no one else should experience it, and I'm here to make that correct. Yeah, so it's kind of funny how the things that have challenged us in life always seem to come back to be maybe one of our superpowers and the value we bring to the world. I know there's a Rumi, um, the Sufi mystic, had a quote, and Leonard Cohen even, you know, uh, tend to the cracks, that's where the light comes in. So those, mm. sometimes those cracks at the time uh, leave us broken, but actually that's where the, the light can enter us. So how did you um, evolve? I mean, how did you end up in the, the position you're in today with uh, Mission Fed? What, what's, what's kind of the short story of, uh, of Neville's journey from uh, here's my suitcase to here I am having a big impact in San Diego? Yeah, well, last month was 20 years at Mission Federal Credit Union, which is amazing to look back on. I didn't really think that was going to be the case when I joined them. Um, my whole career has been about communication and values. And so my meta competency, just like yours, is about purpose and helping enable purpose in individuals and organizations, is about being a helping communicate the the what the organization is all about. And so, um, in I did that in various flavors, from running my own agency to working for an agency to dot coming to dot bombing. I mean, I went through all the iterations and machinations around that, but fundamentally, communication and values have been the core that have uh, kind of kept me in the, in the game, so to speak. Um, values have always been important to me. And so, yeah, in the context of today's conversation, um, a purpose orientation, right? So everybody, right. every company has mission, vision, and values um, and hopefully understands their purpose. What is their reason for being? And so um, that, <laughs> you said evolved. I'm not sure I'm evolved. I'm, I'm sure, I, I'm pretty sure I am evolving uh, in an aspiration to behave into that um, set of conditions with the mindset skill set and heart set around purpose and helping people find their sense of purpose in their work. Again, we can have a job, a career, or a calling. Um, not all of us are gifted with that opportunity to make work about a calling, but I think everybody should have meaning and purpose in their, in their work. Yeah, for sure. And unfortunately, uh, statistically, we know from Gallup that is not the case. Something like 60, 70% of folks just don't find meaning in work and how no, sad is and, that? And we're seeing that now with the great resignation, migration, all these you know, kind of trends that are boding poorly for um, companies that want to create cultures and foster high engagement, high fulfillment environments. So along those lines, uh, I opened this up with uh, the mission statement I pulled out of LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that's where I got that. <laughs> so hopefully that's holding true as well. Um, maybe speak that to a little bit. What, the, what does that, you know, how did that come to be? And uh, like, how, how, do you, how do you live that out? How do you make that happen? So in this post-George Floyd world of diversity, equity, inclusion, implicit biases and recognizing our own, I think, is super important, right? We all have them, whether we are conscious of them or unconscious about them. I have some very implicit biases around, um, first of all, the, a positive psychology and a strengths-based orientation to whatever you're working on, whether you're working on a leadership construct or you're working on culture in an organization. The second is it's a we not me framework. So uh, I, I don't believe any one of us is as smart or capable as all of us. So how do we harness and tap and unleash the collective wisdom, not just intelligence in an organization or in a group? Um, 
So, and so with this kind of more collaborative, uh, shared success model, where it's a stakeholder-centric model, that's the, I would say that would be the third most important piece, is that there's a person at the center of this equation. And in the old days, again, using our conscious capitalism framework, right, Business 1.0 was it's all about the profit imperative. The only thing that matters is generate profit. And if you, so what you, as long as your shareholders got their just desserts, deforest the land, sell tobacco to kids, that's all good. Do whatever you need to do as long as you got profit. 2.0, they entered a, added a human to the equation, hallelujah. Um, customer first instead of profit first. But that comes with its own baggage. The customer is not always right. You can't walk into a place of business and treat our employees poorly or disrespectfully. So good news, customer introduced or human introduced. Bad news, um, sometimes that comes with baggage. 3.0 is actually the employee experience is so critical, i.e. the culture, because the customer experience rarely exceeds the employee experience. So you want to take care of your customer, take care of your employees. By taking care of your employees, they'll take care of the customer. That'll take care of your profit. 4.0, where I know you and I are trying to move the needle for San Diego and beyond, is a purpose orientation where all the stakeholders in the ecosystem matter. So yes, your uh, shareholders matter. Yes, your customers matter. Your employees matter. But your community matters. Um, the planet matters. Um, the So how do we hold space for those that don't always have a voice at the table? How do we hold space for that larger, longer view of success metrics, not just quarterly dividends or you know, profits? Um, that kind of has informed my quote-unquote evolution in the world of business to try to create that as the new norm. And I think that's the work that we're cut out to do. If we do that properly, then you won't have great migrations and resignations because people will feel connected, they'll feel valued, they'll feel affirmed, they're doing what matters, they're making a difference of consequence, and they can connect them their effort to what's how the world is getting better, up elevating humanity. Uh, you don't do that, and you're going to have continued disengagement, you're going to have um, mercenary employee bases that keep jumping every two years if they want to maximize their income, um, the death of loyalty, as some people have called it, and, and so I, I think that that's that Charles Dickens, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times kind of you know, opportunities. Which way do we want to move the needle and how do we want to first show up ourselves um, authentically? That's where it starts. As leaders, <laughs> right? Leadership is an inside job. And then how do we, uh, as leaders, uh, conscious leaders hopefully, uh, move the needle for organizations, communities, cultures, the world, yeah, I have a friend, uh, Paul Radoff, and I've, I've just, I've, I've, I've taken his thing and I'm definitely owning it. And it's, uh, your business will be as successful as your stakeholders make it. And if you really stop and think about that, that is 100% true, right? Because yeah. all these different stakeholders have a play in your success, even though, you know, you got the key ones, so, you know, your employees and your customers, we're, you know, we're trying to get better at those. But a lot of times the non-key ones certain situations become that player, right? I always like to give the example, the UPS guy maybe is not your key guy, but the day you're trying to get something out the door and it's not quite ready and he sticks around for 10 minutes because of who you are, <laughs> all of a sudden he's, he's the most important stakeholder, right? No doubt. I think that's a really useful optic to, to look at a stakeholder, again, stakeholder-centric orientation and where are we not attending to stakeholders that we think don't matter as much, right? Is the janitor less important than the CEO? Uh, is the um, tail end of your elementary canal where something comes out at the end of the day not any more important than where it goes in at the top. So y something gets you know 
choked up and you got a problem, Houston. So you'll find out you'll really find quick. find out real quick who's in charge of y'all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so how, how does, how's that working at Mission Fed? So, I mean, obviously that's a part of your role, part of your, you know, being out in the community. In fact, we we're just having lunch beforehand and you're out in the community right now making some, you know, the, the, the next round of commercials and all that. And so uh, how, how do you make sure that's happening? At least in the areas that you can be in charge of. What, what, what does that look like? So I'm privileged and blessed, and I joke that I'm the non-finance guy on the, on the senior team because uh, I get to work on building and growing the brand, uh, which is about storytelling. And you need a good story and a good storyteller and an authentic story, I would hope. Um, it's about growing a membership. It's, we're a member-owned organization on the, in the historical nonprofit, which is mission-driven, a for-profit, which is business-driven. We're a not-for-profit, so we sit in the middle of those two. And then third and certainly not least is all our community relations strategies, but how do, as a at least a double bottom line organization focused on financial performance and social purpose, how do we ensure our so social purpose is being fulfilled? And so that's where all the local stakeholders come in, whether it's supporting the nonprofits over 10,000 locally, that, that kind of are the glue, the social fabric that keeps our, our community together, right? We talk about America's finest city, I prefer America's kindest region, and maybe I would even add kindest and most purposeful region. That's the aspiration. So being fine is cool. But again, fine is more about how I look to other people, right? My, like my Facebook likes or something. Um, kind is how we're behaving to each other. So is, I'm, I, do I have a strategic empathy, empathetic orientation to all the stakeholders? And purposeful is because we, we, and we know we're all um, connected and need to attend to one another. And region, because we're the largest by national region on the planet to Tijuana and we lose sight of that pretty often and just kind of localize it to what's happening on one side of an uh, artificial border that yes has a place uh, from a <laughs> you know um, states perspective but when you actually think about it whether it's COVID crossing the border or anything else th that's pretty artificial you know you, they you are our neighbors dang straight yeah so how has that evolved so you you're obviously kind of that core person, everything you're kind of talking about, you've had the opportunity within Mission Fed to be that guy on the senior team uh, and trying to ensure that we're, we're following this mantra and how that shows up in the brand and everything else. How, over the last 20 years, I mean, what have you kind of seen? Is that, what's been the evolution of that? So credit unions in general are people-oriented. It's about people helping people. We were founded with the premise of being able to loan money to one another in affinity groups. So all the early credit unions were all, whether it was the firefighters or educators or whatever, it was about saying, look, how can we ensure that our affinity group, our cohort, can both benefit from and, and support each other so they're not being left out of the, you know, the American dream. Uh, so I think credit unions that behave into their values fundamentally are different than the traditional banking model because we were wired and have a birth story around that. So there's a genesis there's there a genesis already there. that exactly. says that's who we were trying to be when we started this whole thing. Which is why I got attracted to credit unions, as an example. And when a recruiter said there's a bank, because I guess maybe they didn't know the difference between a bank and a credit union, or just put it, just blanketed us together, looking for a senior VP, are you interested? And I said, first of all, do I look like a banker to you? That was my first response, and then he laughed. And then the second one is, but I'll talk to anybody. And, and so, yeah, from my get-go in the credit union movement in general, and Mission Fed in particular, uh, it was back to the values. The values resonated, making a difference in the community, helping serving the underserved, um, giving everybody a chance to have their 
um, financial autonomy, whether that's owning a home if that was their choice or getting their first car or, you know, th th that resonated for me. Uh, and as an immigrant, back to your, um, my birth story, right, I, I came over here with that, you know, my parents left a very comfortable life in India um, to have a better life for their kids. The American dream the American is starting dream. over, though, right? Yeah, but starting over, right? So in, in some ways, to those, much is given, much is expected. And so I feel some sense of obli obligation around that, not like a, a guilt trip, but more, hey, man, you know, you, you've been blessed. What are you going to do with it? Mm, that's great. That's great. So that's so. Talk about the hiring a little bit, right? So you're the non-finance guy <laughs> working for the credit union. Yeah. Were you hired into this role? Was that something yeah. that so 20 years ago they're saying, yeah. we, want, we want to hold on to this, uh, who we are, our values, our purpose as an organization, and actually we're out hiring. So this is, an, again, conscious capitalism is not some new thing, right? We well, new, new words maybe, but uh, right. it's been around for some time. I, I think, yeah, if you, if you went through the historical records of, the beginning of any enterprise, there are some people that are thinking about how to self-interest, and that's the only driver of their decisioning. And there's others that are thinking about collective well-being. Right. And I would say if that was a continuum, that credit unions tend to be more on the collective well-being side. Some of them, when they get too big, start to behave exactly like the larger uh, financial institutions, uh, which is regrettable. But um, to date, that's not my experience. Yeah, you know, that's kind of one of the challenges, right? I mean, I think every founder of a business, if you're a plumber or whatever, you had some reason why you're going to do it, right? And that so often gets lost along the way. And, it, and so it's kind of a part of what's going on these days when you're trying to say, well, what's your purpose? What did it used to be? <laughs> you know, like, why did you start this thing? You have to be reminded because we just get caught up in the whole, you know, charge the hill and crank, turn the big crank and, and we lose that. And that's not good. Not good at all. And if you're not the founder, how do you get, other people that are going to co-mission with you, I had to use that because it's mission-fed, sorry. <laughs> uh, how, how are you going to get people to understand and embrace the vision, see their place in the vision, feel connected to that vision, feel proud of the work that they're doing for that vision? Uh, and that becomes a virtuous cycle because then you become an employer of choice. You become a financial service institution of choice. You become a community partner of choice. And back to your comment about the, the degree to which your stakeholders invest in it or are committed to your success. Now all those uh, stakeholders have, see a have a vested interest in your, there's a mutual success, right? We, we all win, it's a win, win, win. Um, so that's the aspirational um, journey, the hero's journey, if you wanna use Joseph Campbell's kind of framework, there's a hero mentor gift. Mm. Uh, oftentimes the brand gets, confuses the hero and the mentor. We think we're the hero. And we start making it all about us and, you know, glamming up on how bitchin' we are. It's not about us. It's about the stakeholders that we serve. At, right. be at best, we're the mentor that provides them with the gift, at best. You made a, made a good comment there, though, because sometimes I think these things where we're trying to do a better job with our values and the purpose and all this, and it's like, okay, we've created this thing. This is who we are. But if you don't do a good job of figuring out how, and you made the comment of connecting people to that, right? How, how did you connect? So we're inviting people into that big story. That's great. They bought into the story, but then they have something unique to bring to the party. And if we can let that happen, then we have a real win-win. And we get the right people in the right spots. And yeah, now you got like-minded people all trying to do something significant. And, and that takes work. That doesn't just happen. 
And we, over the years, we've had, you know, we've had mission-fed moments. What's your mission-fed moment? Which is really about making it about them or the mission, your mission-fed story. Or mm. it's it's not okay. about what's ours. It's it's how how have we, if if we have, helped support and advanced your agenda? Not how do we how do we get our needs met? Yeah. Well, I'm highly interested in uh, learning a little bit about the whole, why have you plugged into the university system for all these years, right? So, okay, you weren't on the board for all 40-some years, but but you've been teaching for a really long time, and then that evolved to the board. What, what drove you to do that? What's, what's behind that? Uh, so, first of all, I think education is, is the great democratizer and affords everybody if rightly, if everybody has access and can benefit from it, and we know there's some gaps there in terms of uh, it, it's still not a completely level playing field, but I think education is a really powerful um, tool, force multiplier for all of us to be successful. Um, education, by the way, comes in many flavors, and it's not just traditional education. So while I'm a strong proponent of uh, the, the traditional university model, it's being challenged in big time right now with student debt being higher than anything else. And people wondering, is it about s degrees or is it about skills? The worker the, in the workplace today needs to provide skills, not just show up with a you know, cum, summer cum laude degree in philosophy. It's like, yeah, so how, what's the out transferable skills that are going to come from that? But, but that said, um, I had a um, transformative experience at UC San Diego uh, as an undergraduate. Um, my, my major was communications, go figure. I did not have a minor. My minor was all leadership things. So I was a house advisor, orientation leader, chairperson of the Muir College Council. I co-created classes with the provost. Um, and I started teaching martial arts there as an undergraduate. Um, and so in complementation, just like complementary alternative medicine, um, a complement to the traditional educational model is what I consider the wisdom traditions. So indigenous wisdom. Um, and the martial arts, meditation, yoga... Uh, um, Qigong from China, uh, First Nations um, can teach us so much about uh, environmental science that, that, that in, they, uh, they learn to live in harmony with the land long before uh, we even add a before add the industrial complex for the complex <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the short answer is I believe strongly in the power of education. Uh, I had a great education experience. I wanted to pay back, which is my UCSD alumni work and where I was the inaugural True Triton in 2013 or thereabouts, um, and I've been teaching the wisdom traditions for 40 years as a way to give back. So what's, uh, you know, after all these years, give, give us a story, right? What, what's something that occurred that you went, you know, I did something, had some hopes, but, man, this thing just turned out to be way more powerful or had a greater impact or... Ten years later, a student came back and told you something. You went, whoa, <laughs> I never would have imagined. Give, give us a story, Neville. Well... First of all, the, you know, for all the educators out there, I just want to remind you that you don't always get the bounce, the echo back from the people that you made a, a transformative impact on. They, they, you, you, they remember you. They don't always remember your class and what you taught. They remember how much you cared about them. They remember how you, like I metaphorically say, when you join my martial arts class, I'm holding the black belt in you in my head so strongly until you believe it for yourself. And so... Uh, and I just want, and then this is not about me. This is about all the educators saying, you do God's work. You're super important. Don't forget and undervalue the importance of that. That said, the coolest story that I can think of is uh, one of the uh, profs uh, in communication that I really loved when I was there was a gentleman named Dr. Herb Schiller. My wife and I actually took all of his classes because we just loved his energy and his 
Like he would just challenge the status quo and get all jacked up. And, you know, he was so excited. and rushed. He was hardcore <laughs> rebel, exactly. Decades later, I ended up teaching his grandchild martial arts. And so the, it came full circle. Um, he had, because of his passion, had, um, you know, put a spark in my heart. And decades later, I'm helping his grandchild um, build confidence, character, efficacy, all that. So that 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 for me was it was a I, I, just very much of a flow. Isn't this cool wonderment kind of a moment? Um, and so that that's the one that popped in my head when you asked the question. The full circle, full circle of life, right there. So martial arts, right? <laughs> you, you had a big smile when I said that. <laughs> so, so talk to that little bit like what uh you got seven black belts or something like this go ahead and you can brag seven degree black belt yeah. <laughs> right so so speak to how that shows up in your life what what the, what does that mean to you and why did you put so much effort into that and how's that play out how's that maybe help you on a day-to-day basis so until about the 90s i had like a split personality kind of like my birth story i was telling you about half indian half english there was my works, the world of work, and then there was my avocational side. Uh, one was the wellness of business, and the other one was the business of wellness. Mm. And finally, in the late 90s, I just had this epiphany, and I'm like, F it, man. I'm slamming those two worlds together. This is who I am. If it, you know, take me as it is, and, if, you know, and so it was It was a, a courageous moment for me because I had, had built a, f- a framework in my head about, you know, all that altruism and helping others and all that needs to be completely separated. And, and the, then business is all about, you know, driving value and revenue and all of that. Um, really, if you, if martial arts well understood, there's a self-developmental part and there's a self-defense part. And people think typically when you hear martial arts, particularly with mixed martial arts on the TV or whatever, we tend to orient towards the fighting or the self-defense part. part the, it, yeah. Exactly. Um, but really, the the fight of your life is with yourself. <laughs> That's a good the, point. There is no gnarly, that is the fight. There is no gnarlier <laughs> opon- op- opponent than yourself. Your own, you know, mistrust in yourself. Your own, you listen to your negative self-talk. That voice on your that shoulder. DOJ voice uh, of judgment. Dang yeah. right. So, the again, the the short answer is, martial arts provided me with a construct in which to actually be able to be reflective of the whole person, and bring that whole person to my world, whether that was the world of work, whether that was music, whether that was, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And, mm. and so, it, again, the root of the word health is whole. And, the, which, the, and yoga, to yoke, is to bring together union, right? The root of the word patient is to suffer. So when we're fragmented in our personality, in our psyche, that's when we suffer, when everything can come together and feel connected and through the power of purpose and we, it's you know, authentic and legit, then we're whole, then we're healthy. And so for me, martial arts, meditation, yoga, the mindfulness, these are all ways to make us whole, keep us whole. So there's a whole toolkit here. It I mean, is. Martial arts is just a piece of, uh, it's a maybe a physical expression of it, I guess. To yeah, martial arts is uh, truth in action. Yoga is truth in inaction. One is active passivity, the other is passive activity. We've got such a bias for action that we venerate action and we vilify reflection mm. at our own peril. Right. And People, it, why are you doing? Well, busy, busy, yeah. busy. If, if I'm not busy, if I'm not multitasking, which is 
not even true. It's fast, t- fast switching, but whatever. You know, then I'm, I'm somehow not, I'm under, um, I'm not maxing out the opportunity for that moment. But that creates Im- incredible stress, and it's not sustainable. Look at us all. Uh, sleep hygiene has gone to crap. Um, stress levels are at unprecedented levels. We have to that that we have burnout, which leads to all these employee issues. We have a new category: diseases of despair, which is suicide, opioid crisis, all these other things. H- how is this actually? If a Martian was going to pop down here and look at the human evolution, would they be going, "Man, you guys are just killing it." These you, guys you, have figured you, it all you, out. You got, you got all, look at this happy, healthy, content, joyous, you know, species. So I, I think, again, for me, the if I was in the East, it might be the opposite. But since I'm in the West, I'm trying to bring those Eastern principles and practices into it. And by the way, it's very cool because neuroscience is supporting with an, with a science-based um, empirical model ma- many of these things that they've known 2,500 years ago. So the quantum physics and, and neuroscience of 2,500 milliseconds ago is saying the same thing as the wisdom tradition said in India or China or whatever 2,500 years ago. Now i got to pay attention. Right. So uh, you need the data. I got your data, bro. You don't need the data. You feel it in your soul. You don't need no stinking data. Great. But so that I think that that's the other part is again bringing bringing the pieces together. Yeah, ah, that's great. That's great. It was kind of funny. We're having lunch, and I was uh, sharing a little bit of my story with Neville, and I was sharing when I was at this situation where I felt this inspired moment. I was supposed to take a sabbatical. <laughs> I felt a divine word came to me. And I was sharing how I spent the rest of the day arguing with myself that guys like me can't take three months off, right? Because that's so anti-American, anti-business. I, I, I said if I was a pastor or a college professor, ah, that's the norm. But does this guy take three months off? Why, you're a slacker? What's going on over here? No, that's a flawed sense of thinking. Well, hopefully we're going to start to shift a little bit of that, right? Uh, um, crazy times are hotbeds for innovation. Crazy times are hotbeds for us revisiting the status quo. And well, we, yeah, we, we were right. talking about that earlier, right? We were saying, you know, so Neville and I have been on this bit of this journey for a while, and I was sharing how uh, five, six years ago I was, you know, trying to bring the ideas of purpose and all this into organizations, and there just wasn't an ear for that. But thanks to COVID, all of a sudden we've noticed there's actually employees in our company that actually are starting to have a say. And so, yeah, uh, hopefully some really positive things will come out of this. So I have a question uh, around community here in San Diego. So, I mean, you're involved with the university and in, in different capacities, uh, with the credit union, who's a big player in our community. Um, what, what are you seeing? What are you hoping for for our community? I mean, if, as we sit here today, and if you were to kind of fast forward and think out, like, what would you like to see happening? And, and this could be business, this could be government, wh- whatever your thoughts are. Well, as you know, um, I founded the first Chamber of Purpose in the country. Uh, it's on hiatus right now because of COVID, um, and it's a bit of a social experiment. And rather than just, like to your point, just be a driver and just force it into existence and find its, you know, way of business model and blah blah blah. I'll find that one uh, like-minded well, person. Th- that's right. <laughs> They're out there. It's probably you. <laughs> I just right found here, them. Here we are. <laughs> um, just sealed the deal. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the the aspiration is to to move the. Uh, first of all, I do think business. Is the has a lot more capacity and potential to positively change the world than we give it credit for. Oftentimes, businesses and business leaders say, "Oh, well, that's not our job. That's the government's job. Well, that's not our job. That's the nonprofit's job." I think that's a flawed uh, approach. 
uh, again, to those that much is given, much is expected. And I think I, I expect more from our business leaders to step up and elevate humanity and advance our community. And so the Chamber of Commerce, we all know, which is why I hijacked that and made the Chamber of Purpose. Some people think of Harry Potter when, I, when they come up with the Chamber. So I'm not, some are even saying, is that the right name? Who knows? But the sentiment is, is pure, is around how do we collectively advance our community through the um, lever, the force multiplier of business, but not just business. So the Aspen Institute um, came up with the fourth sector. There's the public sector, the private sector, there's the social sector. But the intersection of all of those is the fourth sector. The Stanford Social Innovation Trust many years ago, 2007, 2008, talked about collective impact. And again, suggesting that seemingly long-term intractable problems couldn't be solved by any one group. So we need to all mobilize and put our resources together. Uh, so it's that spirit um, and that aspiration that, kinda, I, that I, would, I would like to see more businesses attending to uh, their social purpose and making that part of the their DNA, not something, you know, like if you, if you look at the evolution of it, it was cause marketing, then it became cause branding, then it came, became corporate social responsibility. Now it's whatever, stakeholder capitalism or just capital or conscious capitalism. Just renaming it, but keeping it like a sideline gig that, you, you know, just, you, you know, you check the box on your and greenwash, that's, that's not going to fly. Right. It's either... You're either doing this authentically and legitimately and you believe that it's important or you're not. So then just say, I mean, I'm not for purpose, I'm for purpose. Don't, don't, we don't have to mince words. Be, be unapologetic about it. If your reason to, to exist is just to maximize profit, freaking say it. And, and, and you know, stand go up and it. go do it. Stand up and be counted. Uh, well, if, if, if you're having a moment of going, well, I'm not sure I want to say that. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, when you reflect on why it is you're not comfortable just standing up on the, you know, mountain bare-ass naked and saying, I'm only for profit. All the rest of you can go fly a kite. So there, and that's where the dance begins. So mm. I think we're all in a continuum from unconscious of our purpose to, eh, it's a tickle in our tummy, but we haven't actually scratched it, to it's emerging and I'm, I, I wanna, I'm leaning in on it, to I'm building some operational capacity around this. I'm, I'm, that's, the behavior is consistent with the aspiration to quote-unquote mastery, and I use that in air quotes, both for martial arts and this, because we're all learning and growing as lifelong learners, but wherever you are on that continuum, your role should be to move others closer to the center. And so, again, the another wisdom tradition, the Hawaiians, the Huna tradition, kahunas, when they were teaching young warriors, you brought up warrior earlier, right? And we can be peaceful warriors too, not just, you know, Terminator to seven, um, but... The young warriors, when, when they learned to ascend the volcano and descend and be the first one down, they would say to them, congratulations, now teach all the other young boys how you did that. That's a different kind of leadership than, bravo, you get the gold, you get to go to the Ivy League school, you get to work in the Fortune 100, you get to be the CEO, and you get to you know, have your name in lights. That, so which, which model do we think is going to advance society? And I'm not against uh, competition. Competition helps... But we're also competing with ourselves. Right. So. Right. I saw I saw a um, thing on how they made Top Gun the movie back. You know the original sure. one, and there was they were laughing. Well, what's what's comp, you know what's the movie versus reality? They said ah, we use airplanes. <laughs> There's no Tom Cruise in Top Gun. It, it's all about learning and everyone learning from each other and growing and taking that back to your your crew and teaching them. Right. I mean, just the same thing as with the Kahunas. Right. It's uh, that's what it looks like. I just want to say, I am your guy. 
because that is my compelling vision is that we use the influence of business to change the city of San Diego I know in a you are. positive that, way, right? Because that. we do have the capacity. We are the greatest influence. We are making the money. Um, yeah. And all the things we talked about earlier is the impetus for that, right? Is we're doing something bigger than just the, the, the cycle of profit or providing a product or service, but our business can be a larger platform beyond that. So it's good stuff. Good stuff. Well, what did I forget to ask you, Neville? I mean, uh, what, what's what's the big idea, the big thought? Um, tell me. What, what If you wanted someone to, you know, go, wow, that was a great podcast, but you really want them to walk away with one big takeaway, what would that be? I think you've asked some really thoughtful questions, and thank you, first of all, for this opportunity to share my experience and my vision. Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing I would want everyone to take away is there's only one you on this planet. You need to really invest deeply in understanding what your real potential and real reason for being here is. Who are you really? What do you really want? Um, how can you make? How can you manifest that? And if you, if you lean in and invest in that self-study, it. I would surmise that you're going to realize it's just not about you. It's about us. And what, however you define that us, that us could be your family, that us could be your community, that us could be your religion, that us could be um, a particular demography that you're a part of, that us could be the same people that had the same wounds that you had and you want to make them whole so they don't have to suffer the same way you did. Uh, that, that's where you're, that back to the crack that the light comes in. And I'd, I'd really invite everybody who took whatever time this podcast uh, took to here today to invest a little bit of time every day and every week in really just looking at that man in the mirror or woman in the mirror or a person in the mirror and and love them unconditionally and invite them to come out and play and be themselves. That that If we all did that better, we'd have a better world in my estimation. There you go. That's the Neville I know. That's the Neville I met the four years ago. Love it. Love it. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show today and share your amazing experiences, insights, and, of course, that wisdom. And for all the amazing work you're doing here in San Diego, both at Mission Fed and at the university. Well, folks, that is our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please to subscribe and share the podcast with a friend. That is the best way to help us to continue to get the word out, to help conscious capitalism in the movement we have here to make a difference in San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton saying, in the meantime, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, or we are all counting on you. Love you, Jeff.